This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Praise God. Thank y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's a joy to be back in Texas. I like Texas. And, uh, <laughs> and like uh, Brother Pastor Allen said, uh, my mom, this is, this is where she wants to come when I go out on the road. She says, I like to go back to Conroe. So uh, it's her birthday, and she said for her birthday, she wanted to come to Conroe. So Conroe we go. <clears throat> it is a, a blessing and honor and a privilege to be with you again. You know, no two services are exactly alike. It's... Uh, once in a lifetime, as far as your timeline goes, uh, the, the who's here, the situations in life, it'll never be again exactly like it is right now. And when the Lord does things in services, uh, the scripture says what the Lord does is forever. And when something is really something he did, I'm confident that past this life and uh, the ages to come, We'll bring up to each other. You, you go, you were at that meeting, right? <laughs> yeah, when the Lord told us this, or the Lord did that, or did the other, because the seeds that are being sown are called his incorruptible seed of his word. And even though you don't see the fullness of it, if you, if you believed it, if you received it, and it was planted in you, that's never going away. It'll continue to work in you and develop in you throughout your life and produce fruit, but it won't stop uh, at the end of this life because his word doesn't stop. It's incorruptible seed. So are you ready to receive some more incorruptible seed of the word of God? Hallelujah. Uh, something I, I wanted to mention to you uh, briefly uh, I, I happened to come across some things about Noah and the ark a while back, and I thought of you, <laughs> being the ark and all, you know, and uh, it was about, you, you know, you hear some people scoff and mock about uh, all of the animals being saved in this wooden structure. People try to say, that's crazy, that's ridiculous. Uh, the Bible is true. You believe it or not. Whether you understand it or not, the Bible is true. And some folks that have delved into this and looked at the dimensions and looked at the things, they've come to the conclusion that the ark would hold 522 railroad cars of animals. And by those that study these things, there's only about 18,000 species of land animals. The water ones didn't have to get on the ark, you understand. <laughs> We're only talking about the land animals. And most of them are small. Most of them are not the size of an elephant or rhinoceros. Most of the animals are very small. On those 522 cars, you could fit 125,000 head of cattle. 
125,000 head of cattle could have been on the ark if that was all you were interested in was cattle. But 18,000 species times two is just 36,000 animals. You see what we're saying? Oh, it happened. I said, it happened. And Noah didn't have to corral them up. The Bible said God brought them there. He brought them, just like he brought them to Adam for him to name them. But the, there's so many amazing things about the ark. There was only one ark. And it had only one door. And when that door was closed, there was no more debate. There was no more opinions. There was no more access. All of this is scripture in the New Testament. How many believe there's only one God? And there's only one mediator between God and man. There's only one door. Jesus said, I am the door. Oh, praise God. And the good news is the door's still open. Oh, hallelujah. Is that right? The door is still open. And so we want all the little animals to come on in. Is that right? Come on in. Listen to the call. There's still room for you. Come on in. Because there's coming a time. The Bible said God closed the door on the ark. And there's coming a time when that's going to happen too. Would you please go with me to the book of Ephesians, the second chapter. And I want to lead you in a prayer. There's some things that I've never really taught that have got on my heart. And uh, I will pray about it a little bit more. We'll, you and I will pray a prayer of agreement. You know, utterance is not all up to the preacher. It's greatly affected by the hearer. Jesus said repeatedly, him that has ears to hear, let him hear. And so um, I know the Lord knows. So uh, if this is something he's directing us to get into, then um, he knows you can handle it. Hmm? I'm already impressed and I hadn't got started on it. If you, uh, that you're, you're ready to, to hear some of these things, see some of these things. You think so? This is something you want to agree with. You want to agree with this. That you're, uh, you're able to hear. Why don't you just confess it and say it out loud. I have ears to hear. And I'm able to hear. Everything the Lord would say to me. If it's his word. I believe it. And I'll receive it. Amen. Well Father all of us agree together on this tonight, touching this, asking for utterance, asking for the anointing, asking for your presence. You are the one we honor. You are the one we seek to see and to hear. Reveal to us answers, direction, help, your plan, your will, your ways. And as we see it, and as you help us, we'll not be forgetful hearers, nor hearers only, but we'll be doers of it. And as surely as we act on it, you'll perform it. You always do. And great things will happen. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You agree with that? Yes. In Ephesians, the second chapter, and the uh, eighth verse, 
Ephesians 2.8. Anybody got this marked in your Bible? Nobody. <laughs> it's a good verse. They're all good verses. But Ephesians 2.8, what does it say? For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Everything that has been given to us is the grace of God. But all of God's grace is a gift. Did you see that phrase? It's the gift of God. And the only gifts you enjoy are the ones you receive. Now with me, friends. Even though something's been given to you by grace, that does not mean you'll experience it nor enjoy it. The only gifts you enjoy are the ones you receive. What if I, you know, uh, bought you a great gift, spent a lot of money on it, but you said, no, I'm not going to receive it. Would you enjoy it? No matter, no matter how, you know, interested I was in getting it to you, no matter how much I spent on it, you're not going to enjoy it unless you receive it. And that's the truth today. The Lord has paid the price for everybody's sins and failures. Well, if he's already paid it, won't everybody be saved? No, they won't. Only the ones who receive it. I said only the ones who receive it. I heard uh, on an internationally known interview program some years ago, the interviewer was talking to a well-known minister. I don't know this man personally, but I have a lot of respect for him, how God has used him. And so he was kind of pushing this minister about, he said, well, you know, God is love, right? I mean, God loves everybody. Yeah. He said, well, you know, how can a God who is love send people to a place of torment, a place of a hell? And he was, you know, kind of indignant about it. You could tell he's not a believer by the way he was talking and acting. And um, the, the minister was endeavoring to, to answer him. And while he was, I just asked the Lord myself, I said, Lord, uh, what's the best way to answer this? How can a God who is love send people to a place called hell? And, and I mean, before I finished asking him, it came right up in my spirit. I don't mean I heard a voice, but right up in my spirit. He said, Keith, it's not my choice. Is that true or not? It's not my choice. You know, if God was going to make you do anything, he would make you receive Jesus as your Lord. Right? And save you. Secure your eternal future. If he's not going to make you receive Jesus, he's not going to make you do lesser things. God is not making people do things. It's up to us whether we believe. And whether we receive, it truly is our choice. And it's not just with being born again. The same thing is true throughout your life. Just like you receive Jesus as your Savior and believe it and receive it, you can receive Jesus as your healer. You believe that? See, a lot of people who are born again but don't experience any divine healing because they don't receive that part. 
They only received this part. But not only that, you can receive Jesus as your provider. You believe that? You can receive Jesus as your protector. You can receive Jesus as the baptizer and the Holy Spirit. As long as you'll keep receiving, you'll keep experiencing. You'll keep enjoying, but he's not going to force us to receive. It's up to us. Keep reading Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Come on, say that out loud. I am am. his workmanship. workmanship. Now you just said something. (laughs) Who are you? Hmm? You may give me a name that your parents gave you, but that's not really who you are. Who are you and what are you? You might tell me your job, your profession, your hobbies, but how long is that going to last? Y'all got quiet. (laughs) The Lord gave me a series some, uh, a few years ago called Precious in His Sight. And we spent, I forget how many weeks on it, but several weeks on it, uh, talking about our identity, who we are, what we are. And um, the reason there's so much insecurity and so much instability is because people don't know who they are. They don't know what they are. And you can hear folks talk. The confusion is off the chart about people knowing who they are and what they are. And you you can't help but be that way if you don't find out who you are in Christ, who you are in Him. You You can try to find your identity and your value and worth in all kind of things, in your family name. You can try to, you know, my, my uh, looks, you know. Well, your looks are going to change. Huh? Well, my athletic ability, that's going to change too. The reason I say this is because if you're, or maybe it's your job, and in your ability to work and do that job, that's going to change too. Nothing down here is forever. Everything is for a very brief season. So if all your identity and your value and who and what you are is in your looks, when, not if, when your looks change, you're going to have an identity crisis. That's true. If, if your identity is I'm, I'm, uh, I'm one of the best football players, I'm one of the best track stars, I'm one of the best, well, when that changes, you're going to have an identity crisis. We're saying if your identity is in something natural, it's only a short amount of time before you experience an identity crisis. And that'll make you unstable. And you'll think, because I can't do this anymore, I don't have value. Because I can't produce this anymore, I'm not valuable. And that's not true. I said, that's not true. 
your identity, my identity, needs to be in something that doesn't change. That won't change in this life or after this life. And the thing that makes us valuable, that makes us precious, is who we are to Him. Oh, hallelujah. Who we are to Him. The the enemy is the demeanor, the degrader. He's always trying to make you feel less. Uh, The Lord said this to me some years ago uh, in, in a strong way. Any words or actions that make people feel less is evil. Did you hear that term? It's evil. It comes from evil. All so-called cussing, cuss words. When you examine it, people say, hey, you know, I, oops, I said, the, I said a bad word. I, I shouldn't say that. No, you need to understand why you shouldn't be saying it. Uh, go with me to the book of Matthew. How many think uh, Christian homes should be cuss-free zones? Huh? No cussing. What do you think? (laughs) Oh boy. There's a a lot of cussing that goes on amongst Christians. It ought not be. And one of the things is, it's because people don't understand what they're saying. Words, you know, are just letters grouped together. The letters are different depending on the language. Words are simply containers for thoughts. Thoughts are spiritual. And thoughts have a source. Where did that thought come from? This is the core of spiritual conflict. You remember in 2 Corinthians where he talks about The weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Spiritual warfare is about thoughts, thoughts. Thoughts can be deadly, can be absolute poison to your spirit, your mind, your soul, and your body. And thoughts, God's thoughts, are life itself. Jesus said the flesh profits nothing, but the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Hallelujah. And they're quickening. Life-giving words. So uh, uh, I tell you what, before you read Matthew, you'll get more out of this, I think, if you go to Ephesians. Hold your place in Matthew 5 and go to Ephesians. You believing with me? 
Thank you. Ephesians 4 and 28. Ephesians 4, 28. And let's, let's just go to verse 29. 429 would be fine. It says, let no corrupt communication. The word corrupt could be translated rotten or putrefied. Let no rotten communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Um, Young's literal translation says to the needful building up instead of saying edifying it says needful building up now he's writing to Christians he also told them not to lie <laughs> and he, tell, he tells them and, and us too this is written to us too no corrupt communication what does that mean the enemy is spirit. He can't, the enemy and all his cohorts and evil spirits, they can't just say and do what they want to say and do in this realm. They don't have physical bodies. And spirit is another dimension from this dimension. So if they want something said, they have to influence somebody who's in this realm. And get them to say it. If the devil wants to say something, he has to have a human mouth to say it. If he wants to kill somebody, he needs human hands. If he wants to hurt somebody, he needs human vessel, vehicle. And the, way, and, and the problem is he has no shortage of folks that will yield to him and say terrible things and do terrible things. And all of us have made mistakes, said things we shouldn't have said, done some things we shouldn't have done. But Romans talks about this. Don't yield your members to unrighteousness anymore. Yield them to God. How many know we, shouldn't, we should not let the enemy use our mouth even one more time? Right? We don't want to say what he wants us to say. Why? Because he uses those words to hurt. The Bible said there is that that pierces like an arrow, but the tongue of the wise is health. Words that are full of the wrong things spiritually can hurt. Words that are full of God's things can heal. Life and death is in the power of the tongue, Scripture said. And you'll find if you, through ignorance or whatever reason, you yield your, your, your mouth and, and your vessel to the enemy to accomplish bad things, that's one of the things that will hurt your heart the most. When you realize that you've let the enemy use you, your words, your things, to hurt other people, man, it'll, it'll, it'll bother your heart. It'll bother your heart a lot. And it should. Because there's no, there's no reason why we have to do that. But you can't change the past. You can receive forgiveness for it. But you sure can do something about today. Amen. And tomorrow. Hmm? 
you can make a stand and say, I'm not letting the devil speak through my mouth. Right? I'm not going to let him use my mouth to hurt people. Now, the only way that's going to come to pass is that you do what we were talking about. You take every thought captive. And you don't just say everything that crosses your mind. And you don't, you don't just express how you feel. Are y'all with me, friends? You examine it. Hmm? I was teaching on this some years ago and the fellow afterwards, he came up and he said, Brother Keith, I got it, I got it. Every mind needs a bouncer at the door. <laughs> well, it's some of his experience, I guess, in the past. But, but he, he's got a, a good point. It's true. Every mind needs a bouncer at the door because in Philippians, he tells you, you know, be careful for nothing. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God. And he goes on to say, whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, think on these things. Does it matter what you think on? How much does it matter? According to Romans, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. According to the Bible, it's life and death, what we think on. Much more serious than many think. But it's true. When thoughts come to your mind, you should not instantly spit them out your mouth. There should be a verification process. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? Thought comes to your mind, you open the peephole and go, you on the list? I got a list here. True. Honest, just, pure, lovely. I can look at you. You're not lovely. No. You don't get in. You're a bad report. I'm not talking you. Huh? You're not true. I'm not talking you. I'm, you're not on the list. You're not getting in. I'm not speaking. So sometimes, you know, when people get all upset, they get mad, they get hurt. People will say, oh, go ahead, you know, let it out, let it out. And what they mean is just, just heave and cry and fume. That ain't letting it out. That's letting it in. You're yielding to rage. You're yielding to grief. These things need to be resisted. Resist it. Resist the enemy, the devil, and what will happen, he'll flee from you. Hallelujah. He said, look at it again, verse 28. Let, uh, Ephesians 4, 28. Where, where are you, your last scripture? Ephesians 4, 29. That's exactly the right place. <laughs> verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now, some of your modern translations, which are really not translations, they're paraphrases. They're not, a, they're not a translation. They'll add phrases like, do your best. Try to do this or that. The Lord never told you to try anything. That would imply either Maybe you could do it, maybe you couldn't, or maybe he didn't know if you could do it or not. Neither one's true. 
If he tells you to do something, you can do it. And his word, his command to us, there's actually power in the command to enable you to do it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. God never speaks just to let you know how he feels. He never speaks just to express himself. He uses his words to affect his will, to cause things to come into being, to cause things to change. And what most human beings have never discovered is that we are made in his likeness and image. We are not an evolved animal. Animals don't have the ability to choose their words and release creative power when they speak. We do. We're made in the likeness and image of God himself. And the scripture tells us, be imitators of God as dear children. He, he wants us to learn. Don't just get mad and say stuff. Don't just get upset and say stuff. Don't just get hurt and say stuff. Realize you're a being. You're a son of God. Whether you're a, a man or a woman, you're a son of God. You have creative ability in you. You have the greater one living inside you. And what you want to do is take a step back and say, what needs to happen in this situation? Holy Spirit, what should I say over this? What do I say about this? What should I say over this? And if you'll just check with him. The scripture said, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. If you'll just step back and ask him and check with him, a word will come to you. A scripture will come to you. A phrase will come to you. And there's anointing on that phrase to change your situation. Hallelujah. Instead of just being reactive, you become creative. Oh, hallelujah. The Spirit of God will quicken you. And this is true with your relationships. If you love people, and which is the command, you should want to help them. If they're going through a bad time, if they're messing up, you should still want to help them. If they're acting like a heathen, you should, you should want to be the spiritual one and not get pulled into the strife with them, but realize why are they hurting? What's going on with them? Lord, what can I say? Hmm? Not just if they cuss me, I'm going to cuss them back. They slap me, I'm going to slap them back. That's acting like you're not even born again. Like you're not even a Christian. Spiritual ones are not controlled by their feelings. They're learning how to be led not by emotions, not by every random thought, not by circumstances, but as many as are led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. Come on, somebody said out loud, I am not, I am not 
feeling led. I'm not emotion led. I'm not circumstance led. I'm led by the Spirit. Amen. Led by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. Well, if you're, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you take a moment to look to Him. Instead of saying a, a rotten word that stinks when it came out of your mouth, stinks spiritually. There's death in it. You take a moment, Lord, what can I say to help this situation? Even if somebody's ranting and raving, inside you, you can say, Lord, what can I say? What can I say? Wait on him. Look to him. Do you remember when Jesus was um, in that situation where they, they drugged the woman and said she, in front of them and said, she's caught in the act of adultery and the law says stone her, what do you say? And Remember he knelt down and wrote, he, he took a moment. He didn't just answer. Why? He's operating as a man. He's functioning as a man. And he said, I only say what I hear my father say. And then you can tell he gets to a point where he's got it. He knows what to say. He stands up and says, he that's without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Then he just knelt back down and let God deal with him. Let, let the spirit of God deal with him. There is a right thing to say in every situation if we'll take the time to look for it and ask for it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but just that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Thank you, Lord. Uh, go, please, to the book of Philippians now. Book of Philippians, the second chapter. No need being in a big rush. It's raining outside. You just get wet out there. Just relax and get some more word in here. Get your spirit fed and built up. Could be the very word you're looking for next week or next month. You got in the service. Right? And the Lord bring them back to your remembrance and you know, know what to say and do. Philippians, the second chapter. The third verse. It says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And verse four says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let me read this to you from the New American, New American Standard Version. It says, verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This describes a maturing Christian, one who's not just staying in the babyhood stage. Babies are selfish and are not even aware of it. Hmm? Anybody got any children? Huh? Little ones I'm talking about. Baby, infants, not even walking yet. 
They will wake you up at two in the morning and not feel bad about it at all. It never crosses their mind that you were asleep, that you needed sleep. They are completely selfish and are not even aware that they are selfish. Well, the thing is, spiritually, you can be an infant at 70 years of age. You don't develop and grow up spiritually automatically by reason of time. Just because you were born again 40 years ago does not mean you have developed into a mature Christian. It depends on if you've been fed and if you've exercised faith and love and being led by the Spirit. But this describes a maturing one. Somebody that's, that's, that's growing out of the babyhood stage, you're not just aware of yourself. You're aware and you're not just looking out for what you want and need. You're aware of others. Notice what he said. Uh, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. This is not how most people think. I've even heard Christians say, well, I I don't think I'm better than anybody else, but I don't think anybody else better than me either. That is not a scripture. (laughs) This is a scripture. Huh? (laughs) Now we're laughing, but there is so much junk that people believe because it's been said and their daddy said it and their grandma said it. And, uh, you know, uh, when I first went to uh, Rhema Bible Training Center decades ago, uh, the Lord challenged me just about three months in. I don't mean, again, I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but very distinctly on the inside, the Lord challenged me. He said, Keith, examine everything you believe. Find it in the word. And I realized it was a directive from him. I took it seriously. And so I'd be in class and I'd, I'd, the Lord had quickened to me, you believe that. Yeah, where's it at? Where's it at? I'd go along a little bit more and so I'd, I'd realize you believe that. The Spirit of God's helping me. You believe that I do. Where is it? Where is it? Sometimes I found it. There it is. The Bible said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So if it's really right, you'll see it all through the word. You don't have to try to base it on half of a verse that you don't understand. And, but there were too many times where the Lord had quickened me. You believe that? Yeah. Where's it at? Oh, it's in there. (laughs) What are you laughing about? Oh, it's in there. All right. Where? Where? See, so many people just stop right there. Oh yeah, it's it's in the Bible. Yeah, I've heard it. Where? Where is it? And I got to looking for it. I couldn't find it. I did find three verses that contradicted it. So now I got a choice. Hmm? Am I going to believe what I believe? Or am I going to submit to the word? Sometimes I'd begin to think, well now, why do I believe that? Where did I hear that? And the Lord helped me to see you heard your grandpa say that. He always said that. Yeah, but he didn't have any scripture for it either. (laughs) And some of it I heard from the pulpit 
I heard preachers say it. And they didn't have scripture for it either. Friends, life is too important to base it on men's ideas. You need to find it is written. And you need to get it confirmed in your heart and in your life. Right? Get it confirmed. So, this, I'm, I don't think I'm better than other people, but I don't think they're better than me, is wrong. It's not scripture. It actually contradicts this. What does the scripture, the scripture say we are to do? Do you like the Bible? Everybody in here like the Bible? Amen. Philippians 2, 3, do you like the Bible? Okay, we like this verse then. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind do what? Esteem others better than yourself. How you doing on that? Is it, do you believe it's important? Should we take it seriously? It's really not as hard as you might think. Why? Because you know all of your faults and mistakes. And you only know a little bit about theirs. Hmm? Shouldn't be hard. You know all about you. And no, even if you think you know something about them, you don't know nearly as much as you know about yourself. It didn't say they are better than you. It said you are to do what? Esteem them. Treat them. Count them better. Esteem them. Treat them. Count them better. What would Texas look like if everybody in Texas did that? Treated everybody they came across as more important than themselves. What if the whole U.S. did that? It'd be, it'd be a taste of heaven on earth. Strife would be eliminated. Now, y'all got quiet again. Go to 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Did the Bible tell us to esteem others better, more important than ourselves? That's three yeses and a grunt. <laughs> the Lord wouldn't tell us something that's not important. Right? This is important. This is, this is very important. Do you want to grow up or just be a spiritual baby your whole life? You want to grow up then there's no growing up spiritually without growing up in love. The Bible said in Ephesians, it's the same book, speaking the truth in love may grow up in him. This is the key to growing up, is developing in love. Love is not just a feeling. It affects feelings, but it's not a feeling. God is love. He's not just a feeling. The command, the New Testament command of the church, does anybody know what it is? What did Jesus tell us? Love one another 
as I have loved you. And then here in, in, where we were in Philippians, it goes into great detail about he didn't think it robbery, him being God, to lay aside his mighty weight and glory and become like other men, took upon himself flesh, was made sin with our sin. He's treating us like we're more important than him. Can you see this, saints? He's treating us. Doesn't mean we are more important to him than him, but he's sacrificing himself so we can be saved. And this is the law of Christ, bearing one another's burdens, the scripture said. Esteeming others more important, treating others more important. Second <clears throat> Corinthians 10 and 12. I'll read this in the NIV. He says, we do not dare. Now that's a strong phrase there. We don't dare. We don't dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, that's a lot of themselves, isn't it? <laughs> they are not, and that's the problem, they are not wise. They are not wise. Uh, my wife, Phyllis, who is a wonderful woman. Uh, she is a good cook also. And uh, she's, she likes watching these cooking shows sometimes. Have y'all watched any of the cooking shows? What, Master Chef or some of these things? Huh? Okay. A lot, of, lot you know. And uh, some of the first times I watched it, I was just astounded. I thought, would you look at that? They messed up cooking. <laughs> These guys are running around. They're sweating. They're about to pass out. And they just, something that you could have fun cooking, making a nice meal, and turned it into a, a competition. Took all the fun out of it. That's just my, my perspective. <laughs> and as I'm, as I'm looking at it, thinking, I, th I thought, why do people make everything a competition? Why does everything have to be a competition? Will it be that way past this life, I'm thinking? What do you think? Past this life, will everything be a competition? I'm confident it won't be. Well, how will it be then? And why is it that way now? <laughs> Y'all are quiet again. <clears throat> the two biggest, two of the biggest problems on the planet are fear and pride. Fear and pride. And fear and pride make everything a competition. And if you're insecure and you don't, you're not secure in who you are and what you are, 
you find your value in beating others. If I beat you, I'm better than you. Now, don't, don't overreact to this. I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody. But it's a mentality. Do you believe it's going to be in heaven? That we have to beat each other to be better and to feel better about ourselves. Well, according to Philippians, we're to esteem each other. I'm not to have to try to beat you so that I feel better than you. I'm just going to go ahead and say, you're better. I'm going to treat you as more important and better. The Lord didn't say they're better than me. He said, treat them that way. Esteem them. Count them that way. Treat them that way. Is this okay? <laughs> treat them that way. Why? L read this again. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read this verse 12, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 from Young's literal translation this time. He says, we do not make bold to rank or to compare ourselves with certain of those commending themselves, but they among themselves measuring themselves and comparing themselves with themselves are not wise. One translation says they don't understand it. If you saw things right, you wouldn't do that. If you understood how it really is, if you saw it through God's eyes, we would stop comparing ourselves with each other. We would lose the need to rank everybody and everything and categorize everybody and everything. And one of the big reasons why, I, I, I didn't read the rest of it, hold your place in 2 Corinthians, go back to Ephesians, our text. One of the big reasons why it's foolish to do this. Now, I don't have to ask you if you've ever compared yourself with other people in other situations. I know you have. But what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of the comparison and what's the results of the comparison? The purpose is to decide which is better. And the results is you can decide that you or whatever you're comparing is either superior or inferior to what you're comparing it with. How, how am I doing as a Christian? Well, let's compare ourselves with other Christians that we think are pretty top Christians. <laughs> huh? How are we doing as a church? <laughs> huh? Should you compare yourself with other churches? Huh? See what they're doing. How they're doing and how I measure up with that. No, you shouldn't. In Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 10, our text, he said, for we are his workmanship. 
Somebody say it again. I am, I am his, workmanship. his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now these are not works that save us. These are works that flow out of our call. What God has put in us. Unto good works. He, he just got through saying the previous verse, it, we're not saved by works, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then the very next verse, he talks about us doing works. Not works that save us. Good works that come out of us. Which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Listen to the Amplified. Verse 10, Ephesians 2.10. 2, we are God's own handiwork. His workmanship. Come on, say that out loud. I am, I am God's own handiwork. God's own handiwork. His, workmanship. His workmanship. Goes on to say, we're recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined and planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Living the good life. Here is one of the preeminent reasons why we should stop comparing ourselves with each other. God did not make any two alike. There are no two identical human beings. Never have been. Even so-called identical twins. They're not the same people. There are no two identical people. And when we say that, we, we're not just talking about physically and mentally. We're talking about spiritually. And we're talking about the plan of God. The call of God and the race that we're to run. Comparing ourselves with each other shows you don't understand that no two of us are alike. And no two of us have the same exact graces and gifts. No two of us have the same revelation and light. No two of us have the exact same race to run. Every one of us have a different Race, a little bit different race, different graces, different call. So how can I determine how well I'm doing by comparing myself to people who don't have the same light, who don't have the same grace, who are not running the same race? It's foolish. And yet people are doing it all over the place. Right and left. Comparison, comparison, comparison. How am I doing? How am I doing as a Christian? How am I doing as a minister? How am I doing in my preaching and teaching? How can I decide that? How can I ascertain that? How are we doing as a church? How are we doing as a ministry? Well, I tell you where you don't look is other people, other ministers, other churches. No two are alike. No two families are the same. No two marriages are the same. Hmm? No two children are the same. Have you found that out, parents? Huh? No 
No two children are the same. You are a one of one masterpiece created by the Almighty. There's never been one like you before. There'll never be another just like you. Never. You are one of one. And the Bible said that God's going to sign you. Have you read Revelation? He's going to sign his name on you. (laughs) Say it out loud. I am a one of one signed masterpiece. One of one. Signed masterpiece. So how, how, what can I compare myself to? There's never been another one like me. There'll never be another one like me in the future. Are you either? So how can we compare ourselves with something that's substantially different from us? He said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We need to think this, talk about this, and confess this, and get ourselves delivered from comparison. You'll you'll have to catch yourself because you've come up in a world where it's happening all around you and where competition is in everything. And people are endeavoring to prove their superiority and to prove that they're better and to prove that they're the best when the fact is no two of us are alike. So if I shouldn't be comparing myself to other people, what should I compare myself to? Glad you asked. Go to Romans. (laughs) Go to Romans, the 12th chapter. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but like we said before, you must be able to handle it. You one of a kind, (laughs) masterpieces. It's it's the truth. The Bible says even in the resurrection, when, when we're resurrected and our bodies are changed, we will differ in glory like the stars do. No two stars are exactly alike. Even though there are, as far as we know, trillions and trillions of them. We don't even understand how big that number is. Well, no matter how many human beings there are or there come to be before this is over, there will never be another like you. And you are to believe that and never forget it And Paul said, I glory in my office. I magnify, I should say. I magnify my office. People might think that's braggadocia, but it's not because he didn't call himself to that office. He didn't put himself in that office. We need to magnify what God has done in us. That's not you taking credit for it. You didn't do it. You didn't make you. Now you hear people say, well, I'm a, I'm a self-made man. Then you ain't much. 
<laughs> you, you don't even know what's going on. God made you, whether you ever acknowledge it or not, and you'll never begin to reach your spiritual potential until you acknowledge he's the one who's working in me to will and to do of his good pleasure and what he has begun in me, hallelujah, he will complete it, hallelujah, until his day, the day of Christ. Praise God. A one of a kind. God's workmanship. Like we said, the devil is such a, he, he, his ministry is defamation. His ministry is degradation and demeaning and devaluing. And like we started to say earlier, cuss words, they're all designed to make you feel less. None of them are designed to edify you and build you up, which is why it's corrupt, rotten communication should never come out of our mouth. We don't want to tear anybody down, no matter what they've done. We want to build people up, right? Do you? You want to build people up. You want them to find out they're a one of a kind, right? You want, to find, you want them to find out how God sees them and values them and what he has done to redeem them. So the devil's continually, I mean, it, it's, it, it's annoying and worse than that. But he's always trying to get you to see yourself as less. He's always trying, if you make a mistake, he'll bring it up to you a thousand times. Tell you what a sorry, pitiful excuse of a Christian you are. <laughs> Y'all have heard about this. He, I mean, he's just continually trying to run you down because Ever how you see yourself is how you will act. That's why people that, that, that begin to commit crimes, a lot of times they get worse and worse and worse because they, even though they're trying to act hard about it, they see themselves as absolutely worthless. And they're convinced that they're nothing. And, and the enemy will begin to tell them, your family would be better off without you. The world would be a better place without you in it. He's always trying to get everybody to that place, whether they destroy others, destroy themselves. Why would you take your own life? You've come to the place where you see no value in yourself or your remaining days or your relationships. The devil has convinced you that you're worthless. But he's a liar. I said he's a liar and the father of lies and we should know better than to listen to his lies. We should rise up on the inside and shut him down when he tries to tell you. You're not this and you're not that and you're nothing and you can't do that. The next time any kind of thought like that comes to you, remember this, the highest price that has ever been paid for anything in the universe was paid for you. Silver and gold could not buy you. Now what the scripture said? Silver and gold, there, there is not a number, there is not 
a trillion. There, there's not enough money in the world to buy one soul. The psalmist said the price of a soul ceases forever. There actually was only one thing in all the universe that was valuable enough to buy us. It was the precious blood of the Lamb of God because the life is in the blood. Hallelujah. The life of God is in the blood of the Christ and he counted us, acted like we're better than him and he paid every bit of it to buy us. Is God foolish? Would he pay a billion dollars for an item that's not worth 10 cents? Wouldn't he know? I said, would he know? How much did he pay for you? Highest price that has ever been paid for anything he paid for you. Don't you let the devil tell you you're worthless. Don't you let him tell you lies like that. You know better. You are a one of a kind. God's workmanship. Huh? Do you believe it or not? Much more amazing than any painting that anybody's ever painted or any sculpture, any architecture, any building. All that's going away. But not you. You're here to stay. You're part of his forever family. They're working on your place in heaven right now. Getting it ready for you to come. Didn't the Lord say, I'm, if it wasn't so, I'd have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to go and, and take you to myself. Arrangements have been made and are being made for you. The Bible said already we are citizens of heaven. Our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Glory to God. Well, the more aware of this we are down here, it affects the way you act and interact. You're an ambassador for Christ. You carry yourself differently. You think differently. You speak differently. You're secure in who you are and what you are. You don't feel the need to berate anybody or try to put them down to make yourself look any bigger. You have no need of that and you despise it. You want to lift them up. I said you want to lift them up. Hallelujah. You want to, that's what edify means. Build up. Lift up. There's been a handful of people in my life already in these past few decades. I will forever be thankful to them. My elders and people in my life spiritually that saw things in me I didn't see in me and called on them to come out. <laughs> Brother Kenneth Hagin, who's in heaven now, is one of them. He'd call on me to do things and I'd think, can I do that? <laughs> and he'd, he'd just say, come on. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> but he saw something in me I didn't see in me. He'd call on me to do meetings that I thought, well, I'm not ready for that. I'm not up to that. But he, uh, he would call on you, come do this. You can do this. 
And sometimes I'd even say, I, I don't know that I got that. He said, yeah, you got it, come on. Well, okay, if he says I got it, then I got it. And then you'd take a step by faith and sure enough, here's something that'd come. But you didn't have enough faith in yourself, in God, in you to act on it without some encouragement. Don't you want to be that for other people? You know you appreciate anybody. One of the greatest things you can do for your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, believe in them. Right? Not be moved by what you see or don't see. Right? Believe in them. Speak to the the greatness that's in them because they're a one of a kind masterpiece. Go to 1 John. I'm, I'm thinking about closing. We'll see. 1 John. Can you take a little more? 1 John. I believe it's the third chapter here. Chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, behold. Behold means look at this. Look at this. Look at what are we looking at? What manner, we might say, what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us? We, we barely scratch the surface of understanding it. What kind of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God? We've heard this phrase, might even confessed it, but we have very little understanding. In the psalmist, we get a little glimpse of the angels talking to each other saying, what is man that you're so mindful of him and you've put him over all the works of your hands? They looked at each other and thought, what? What is this? Because <laughs> in our current state, we're physically feeble. We're not, they're big, they're strong. And they're looking at us thinking, what? Now, I don't think they said it too loud around the throne, but <laughs> like, what is God doing? He took this little, what is a man? Don't look like much to me. Read the rest of the verse. Therefore, the world knows us not. The world does not recognize who and what we are. Most Christians don't know who and what they are because it didn't know him when he came. When Jesus came into his own, his own didn't even receive him. But, keep reading. Beloved, not in the sweet by and by, now are we the son, not, not one day, now. You hear sometimes people talking about, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I ain't no saint. Are you saved? Then you're a saint. If you're not a saint, you're an ain't. <laughs> ain't saved, I'm telling you. You don't become a saint by living a good life or by somebody voting on it at the end of your life. Have you read the epistles? They're addressed to the saints that are at Rome, to the saints, at Colossae, to the saints. Why? You can't earn holiness. We've been made the holiness of God in Christ Jesus. We didn't earn righteousness. We've been made righteous by what he did. 
And it's not going to happen later in the sweet by and by. Beloved, now. Oh, somebody say now. Now. Right now. We are the sons of God. Somebody say right now. Right now. I am one of a kind. Son of God. Whew. The world doesn't know who we are. You know, a lot of the world thinks we're nuts. They don't think, whoo, there's a son of God. <laughs> they may think that's a religious nut, but, but they're wrong. I said they're wrong. And it's going to come to pass that all beings in heaven and on earth and under the earth will realize who he is and who we are. It's coming to pass. Because we are in the earliest stages of our development. Hmm? We're like preemie babies. We, I'm not joking. We are in the early. This life is the shortest thing we will ever do. This is the briefest thing we will ever experience. It's a time of learning faith and choosing him. And where he's preparing us. For what's coming next. Anybody in here that got born again and you've walked with God for 10 years now? For, raise a hand if that's you. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. How many would say, I'm a different person now than I was 10 years ago? I've changed uh, 20 years ago. I, I've grown. I've developed. I, I don't think the same way. I, I don't act the same way. I don't talk the same way. What if you continued that for another 300 years? How, what kind of person would you be? What if you continued developing for another 3,000 years? Huh? Reckon you'd be any different? Look any different. And once you get out from this life, there's no hindrances. All the restrictions are taken off. You're going to take off like a rocket in your development. And it's going to come to pass that angels and other beings that see us will go, that's the son of God. Because you'll look like it. You'll sound like it. We'll shine like the stars. Man, when you get a hold of this, you don't feel the need to try to have to beat anybody <laughs> to feel good about yourself. You don't feel the need to try to compare yourself with everybody you see and See how you do it? I mean, I think perhaps tomorrow night, if you're with us, we'll get into some important things about how we, sh how we should measure ourselves and, and how we can tell what we're doing, should be doing. But tonight, just get this. You can't tell how well you're doing by looking at anybody else. Hmm? Because you're not like anybody else. And they're not like you. And your call and your graces, they're all different. Not just a little different, God's workmanship. Isn't it astounding? What kind of being can make trillions of stars and no two of them are alike? What kind of being can create billions of us and no two of us have the same fingerprint? No two of us are alike. That's an indication of how different we are internally in every 
other way. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. He said, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Hallelujah. For we shall see him as he is. When he comes, whether we return with him or whether the trumpet sounds, uh, we're still here and we're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, you're going to see him. Not like somebody thought he was. You're going to see him as he is. And one of the most astounding things is going to be your mouth's going to be open. You're going to be going, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then you're going to go, ah. I'm like him. He has made me like him. Hallelujah. And he's going to say, I told you, I told you. (laughs) Stand on your feet, everybody. Let's lift a hand to the Lord. Are you thankful that he's done all these things for us? Let's lift our hands. Let's lift our voices. Tell the Lord you're thankful that he has made you one of a kind, one of a kind. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, just lift your hands. Lord, we thank you. We worship you for all you've done in us and all you've done for us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 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 Let me lead you in a prayer. Just keep your eyes closed. Let me lead you in a prayer. Say it out loud, Father God. I believe in you. I believe in your son Jesus. That he died on the cross. He paid the full price. For all my sins. And has been raised from the dead. I receive. The love. I receive. Redemption. And salvation. I choose. To stop comparing myself. To anybody else. I choose to believe. You've made me. One of a kind. Your own handiwork, your workmanship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Oh, praise God. Just praise him a little bit more. Lift your hands up. He's answering that prayer right now. Believe that he's affecting changes inside you to enable you to think right and stop all of this ungodly comparison. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Alert us, Lord. Uh, Anytime we begin to compare ourselves among themselves or measure ourselves among themselves, check us. Alert us to it. Help us to see it. And by your grace, we'll stop it in Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Thank you, Lord.
Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.